All right, welcome to Fables Part 2. Have you been enjoying this new uh, series? I hope that you have. Thanks to our studio audience for being here right now. Um, we're going to open church as soon as we can. We find the restrictions are restrictive right now and possibly a little silly, so we're just going to kind of do what we do best right now, and uh, we'll give you as much information as we have when we can, and uh, we'll just kind of move the ball up the field that way as wise as we can, uh, but also with as much faith as we can too. So, um, all right, here's a fables part two. A fable or a parable is a story that Jesus tells you um, because he needs to teach you something that you're going to disagree with. So he needs to tell you a story about somebody else's life to teach you about your life, but you got to wait till the end until it hurts your feelings. But it doesn't really because you like stories and I like stories. And so that's how he gets the moral of the story, simple stories for simple people. He gets the moral of the story across. So you change your life. So the the dream that God gave you or the dream that he's going to give you in the sermon can actually come true. What he does is he has to tell you a fable because that's the one meaning of the word fable is like a, a story with a moral. He has to tell you a story with a moral because you're telling yourself a different type of fable in the definition. And that is an untrue story that just you tell yourself because you just like telling yourself that story. So he takes the, his story and replaces your story with his story. Today, I'm going to start in the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 10 says, look, he says, now this is like. This is what you would say to people if you were sending them out. He said, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. It's weird. He has to use like shock value sometimes because we just get sort of uh, into these like things where we just kind of forget what it is that he's talking about. We're thinking about something else. And so he says sometimes really odd things to capture our attention. He says, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. And we're like, Jesus, I'd rather be the wolf. And he's like, you're not your sheep. So be, and then he says, shrewd as snakes. I was going to call this sermon shrewd as snakes, but I'm not calling it that. I'm calling it instead when visionaries get uninvited. Shrewd as snakes. So he's like, "Be, be as shrewd as snakes and as harmless as doves. So that harmless part, let me kind of tackle that first. That means like unmixed. So he's saying, be, be as slippery as snakes. What on earth is Jesus talking about? Because snakes aren't snakes the devil. Snakes are the devil. Anybody who would have a pet snake? Garden of Eden. Come on, everybody. Like, seriously, like, snakes are evil. Spiders are evil. They should not be pets. They're disgusting. But what is Jesus saying? He's saying, be shrewd as snakes and harmless as, as doves. So the harmless part means unmixed, pure of mind, free of guile. So he's like, you have to be... Around the truth, you have to be free of guile. You can't be out to get something from somebody else. You know, that's so he, but then this shrewd as snakes part means be clever, be clever and be wise. Because that word shrewd means wise. I think that shrewd just gives us a different, different spin on it. It says intelligent, prudent, mindful. And so some of you have read that, that blog of my pastor, Peter Haas, who just wrote about this, our, is our response killing us to the whole COVID crisis, which is incredible and I think extremely accurate. Also historically, I think factual and very important to look at right now. Um, uh, we have this idea now that, that, that the, what we've been presented sometimes cannot be questioned. I think that that's insane based on uh, history. Like this is not the first crisis that has ever happened. But the way that he did that, I was talking with my daughter Ailish about that. And I'm like, man, Pastor Peter is so smart. And she's like, yeah, he, he's so smart. He's so intelligent and like a philosopher and a historian. Then I'm like, yeah, but I'm smart too. (laughs) I'm totally not like a jealous person like that. I'm like, yeah, but I'm smart too, just because I'm being funny. And I'm like, I'm smart too. And Ailish looks at me because Ailish is pretty smart. And then she says, 
I'm like, yeah. I'm like, well, I'm like, I'm like animal smart. I'm like, sh- I'm like shrewd like a snake smart. I'm like cunning like an animal. It's, there's a difference in this. He's philosophical and very well read. And there's different kinds of wisdom. What kind of wisdom do you need in your life right now? There's the kind of wisdom that our society is functioning on in the middle of this crisis. Some people, if they act on the right kind of wisdom, they take knowledge and apply it properly, will do very well. Other people will take the same information and misapply it and will really be hurting coming out of this crisis. What will you do? Last week we talked about the state of the soil of your life. There's nothing wrong with the seed. You've got to take care of the soil of your life. That soil will produce a harvest if it comes with the wisdom of God. And so, so this is, I'm going to show you a story. Just give me a little, a little while to work into here. I'm going to show you a story about kind of a shrewd thing that I did one time. So, and just give me a minute because you're Canadians. I know how we think. I've been studying culture for a long time. I, I'm going to have to tell you a story because the real story that I'm going to tell you is going to disagree with you. And the real story Jesus is going to say is going to disagree with how you think, but he can't change you until he disagrees with you. So I'm just saying that's how he has to do that. He has to offend what you think you know so that he can tell you what it is that you don't know and how to get successful in this time. Um, so I was doing a building up in Rocky Mountain House as an electrician, and this was kind of a long-term project. And so I had already been told that we were going to use a certain type of wire of, of tech cable to do the panel feeders and stuff. And so it's what makes the the panels turn the lights on if you're not from the trades industry. That's what it does. But it's the feeder cables. Now, there's different types of cables. The, the copper cable is very expensive, and you can use an aluminum cable that does the same job as long as you handle it properly. That's way cheaper. And I had already been told, because everything had been specced for copper in this particular thing, but copper was expensive. And I had and already been told by my boss, I'm like, why can't we change this out and save the money? Because it does the same thing, right? And so... He said to me I, two or three times, and I think it was three times he said to me, it's been specced that way. It's what the architect wants, we think. Just do it that way and don't ask any questions. Well, first of all, I'm not really a good rule follower. And so I'm like, but we could save more money. I'm thinking, like, we could, I could save you the money because it's not like I'm going to make any more. I'm like, and so in my mind, I'm just trying to figure out a way kind of to like, hmm, but he already told me not to. And so, so this is what, because the trades are very results-oriented, this is what happened. One day, the electrical engineer comes out on site. And this electrical engineer was not like some. This was a very practical electrical engineer who was also an electrician. Hallelujah! So he knew how the world works. Because um, some engineers, I love engineers, they're really smart. Some of, the, some of them are really smart and really dumb at the same time. I still haven't figured that out. But, but he was a very practical electrical engineer, which is exactly, I'm like, oh. So I talked to him. I just got him talking. I gave him a cup of coffee. And I just, after about a half an hour, I'm like, hey. Is there a reason why we can't use aluminum here? And he looks at it and he goes, what did, what, did, what did we spec? And I said, copper. He goes, oh. Yeah, he says, go ahead and use aluminum. That's fine. Just throw the owner back some of the savings. And I'm like, done. So in a half an hour conversation, I'd already been told three times by my boss, don't do this. The next conversation I had was, they're going to let us do aluminum. We need to throw back the owner this amount of money and we save the rest. A shrewd bit of business. Now, listen, listen, listen. Here's the even shrewder bit of business is that we had two phases of the building. The entire second phase, we saved the whole amount of the money. And so an extra conversation probably saved the company 
$30,000, something like that, and the owners got a, a benefit of thousands of dollars, thousands of thousands of dollars back. They were happy, engineer was happy, boss was extremely happy. I was the only one who didn't make any more money. But let me talk to you a little bit about this, okay? Because you're approaching your life in this rule-following sort of thing, and following the rules of God is really, really great, but when you follow everybody else's rules for your life, now, kids, teenagers, you still have to do what mom says or you won't get fed. Like, that's how the world works. Your mom is God. Just own it and do what mom says. Okay. Now, everybody's like, is mom God? You know, come on, moms. Back me up here. You know more than your teenagers do. I know that you do. Even if you're not smart, you know more than they know. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. When you follow the wrong set of rules, because God has a wonderful plan for your life, and so do a lot of other people. So does the government. So does, come on. Everybody's got a plan for your life, and God has the one plan that will actually work and fulfill you and make sure that everybody, you know, gets what the dream of God coming true in their lives. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. I approach that issue like somebody like me is wired to approach it, which might not be like somebody like you. I heard no. I heard no. No never really means no to me. I thought there's a way. I said there's a way to satisfy both. So... Just let me spin this philosophically just a bit here. I was told, no, either this or either this. But I'm like, well, there's a way that we can make everybody happy. Everybody can save money. And this, the same safety, job, amperage, everything is the same. And everybody saves money. There's a way to do both and. There's a way to do both and. See, I did what a certain type of person does, the way that God wired me. I did... What God wired me to do is I looked at the end result I wanted, and this is ultimately what wisdom is, and I worked my way back to what it would require of me today. I worked my life back from where I wanted it to go, where I wanted the company to go, and how much I wanted them to save. I worked that back to what I'd have to do right now in this conversation to do that. But we don't do that that well as a society as a people, we don't really work our way. We're not handling this crisis the way, listen, this is what, okay, just give me a second because you're all going to disagree with me. I'm going to work my way into it and then I'm going to punch you in the stomach just like the, just like the parables do. Okay. <laughs> the ability to do that is a thing called vision. Vision. Vision doesn't think that everybody has to lose. Vision is this thing that's like, no, 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 we could do both and, both and, both and. Get that in, in your mind. So here is what we need in society today. Let me break this down on like business or family or whatever. So you need vision, but you also need management. Let me break this down and show you how in Canada we have created a vision vacuum. This is the issue right now in everything that we're dealing with. We have created a vision vacuum. Vision and management. Vision is that thing that says this is where we need to go. Management is how we pull it back to today and build the thing that could actually get us there. So sometimes if you have a visionary in, in a home or something like that, you have a visionary dad who's just like, oh, they got all these great ideas, but then nothing ever happens because nobody is managing the vision. Nobody's building the car that actually drives you to that vacation spot. No, you know what I mean? Like nobody is actually building the structure in the machine that actually gets you there. You'll, you'll have, and, and the other side of that is the, the, the management. So you have vision, which is this is where we need to go. Management, this builds the means to get there. Now, managing versus visionaries. Only the storm 
reveals how well that marriage is doing. Only the storm reveals how, only the pressure cracks the pavement. Only when things aren't working do we see how well we did with this. You can tell a person is a visionary or a manager and and per capita, what I'm not saying is that everybody is a visionary or you might have elements of this in you, but what I'm saying is here, per capita, there might be like one out of a thousand or one out of like, I don't know as far as like the level of leading countries or I'm not even going to get that into that deeply. But what I want to get into your mind here is you have to have the ability in your life to see where you're going and the ability to build whatever it takes to get you there. There has to be this perfect marriage of that where you don't check the box on either side of that. You work the two of these things together. Now, how you know which side of this you'll end up kind of gravitating towards is how, what you do with change, how you respond to change. So are you a person who likes change? Yes. You know, some people love change and some people, are you a person who's like a little bit skeptical of change? Like, ah, new information, ah, yeah, yeah, skeptical. Like, I'm not sure even what I think about this sermon right now. You know, I, this is, seems new to me. I don't know. This has not been tried and tested and this does not feel very traditional to me and Listen, if we check the box off and uninvite the visionary, it works as long as the sun is still shining. When the, when the storm comes, you find out whether you were steering the ship in the right direction or not. See, visionaries... Uh, they can see this other reality out there, and they're like, yes, we need to move towards this, we need to move toward this. People who fall in the management and details and, and, and actually admitting the thing, they're the ones who are like, yes, but we actually have to do this today to make that happen tomorrow. So, no, these are the baby steps that we'd have to break it down to to do this. Managers execute and visionaries see. Now, when managers try to see things start getting weird. And when visionaries try to execute, we mess everything up because we start micromanaging stuff and getting all weird. And so, see, the manager's main concern is the safety and efficiency of today. But the visionary's main concern is like, oh my goodness, we might hit that iceberg out there. Or, oh my goodness, there's an opportunity coming that's just being, we can see a little bit of it in Asia right now and it's starting to trickle into our industry. And we need to actually look at that thing right now. But the manager's like, why would we do that? Everything is working. We're still selling widgets. You know, a management type of thing in your family is, they're great because they just, they run the day-to-day, they run the day-to-day, they run the, and all of a sudden your kids become teenagers. And you're like, and the game, the rules changed. But we're still going to try to raise them like we raised, when, when they were 10 it worked. But now they're 13 and it's not working. Now they're 16 and it's not working. We're just going to try this harder. We're just going to keep doing what worked here a lot harder here. But you're finding this, there needs to be this mix of both of these things. So, so, um, so let me talk a little bit about, uh, a little bit about Canadian, um, culture here. Um, this is gonna sound like it's coming out of nowhere, but I'm gonna pull it right into what's going on in, in our lives right now. So, um, managers earn a living by keeping the rules. Leaders learn, uh, earn a living by breaking the rules a little bit. By changing the rules a little bit. So the two can be like sworn enemies of each other, but they need each other. Uh, managers tend to think that there's one way to do it, and they've figured out the way to do that. And most of the time they have. Leaders tend to think there are many ways, some of which we haven't even thought of right now, and we should be experimenting all of the time with all of these. And so you can see the difference is like, managers is like, 
why would you upset the apple cart? And they're like, yeah, because nobody's buying apples over here, and that might happen over here. We need to sell oranges. And they're like, well, we just figured out how to sell apples. And we just finally got all of this working, and then and it's like, and nobody's using carts anymore, so we need to put them on donkeys. <laughs> and we like, well, but nobody's doing that. Well, nobody's doing that here, but see, over here, the carts aren't working anymore. And so there's this huge... There's this huge kind of controversial thing that happens where, where management and leadership, and you can see this in your company. If you work in a company, you can see this all over the place. It's like rule followers and rule breakers, and they're always at each other's throat. You know, Managers get tunnel vision, but visionaries get dream vision and never finish anything. Because by the time like you're halfway into this project that they envision, they're bored and they're off to the next thing. And you're like, but we got to finish the thing that we said that we would finish. And you didn't finish the thing that you said. And they're like, I don't even care about that thing anymore. I'm over doing this thing. Visionaries steer the ship. But managers are the one that makes sure that the steering wheel is hooked up to something that does something. Because what's the point of steering? Like, you can turn a wheel, but if it doesn't actually turn the rudder, if the engines don't work, and and if the photocopying machine is not working, how are you going to print the thing that you needed to print to do the thing that... And the visionaries are like, we have a photocopier? You know what I'm saying? It's this, and each of them wants to take each other far too seriously, wants to take themselves far too seriously, as opposed to really valuing the other person there. So let me explain a little bit about Canadian society. Because my dad explained this to me one time. He's like, we have this thing called winter. So just psychologists, take a step back in time with me. So we have this thing called winter, because dad and I were, we were traveling in a non-winter um, third world country at the time. And I'm like, how is it that Canadians ha- have are so good at preparing everything all the time. And he said to me, our winters, so, so my grandfather, maybe your great-grandfather, came to this country generally with nothing. <laughs> you know, They came here, and then they moved to this province. So let me hone in to the west in Alberta. And so the first thing they had to do, they would come out in the spring of the year often, and the first thing they had to do was they had to build a shelter and then they had to get the, the crops in the ground real quick, you know? And so, because why? Because winter was coming. It was this idea, winter is coming. Winter is coming. Winter. My dad and mom both grew up on the farm. Winter is coming. Winter is coming. Winter is coming. If you can't be a good manager, your brothers and sisters don't make it through the winter. You know what I mean? It just brought life and survival that close. We had to, as a nation, become good managers. Yeah. We had to because of the winters and because... You had to keep, think about it this way, you had to, on the, in the farming communities, you had to keep excellent relationships with all of your neighbors because you needed them at harvest time. Yeah. And if you got sick and your harvest needed to come in, they needed to do that for, you know, and so, so the, the farm wives would make food and they would bring it out to the harvest fields and they'd have these harvest parties. And psychologically, this is what's drilled down deep into Albertans is this, this, this anybody who grew up here, it's built into us this idea of prepare for the future, prepare for the future, prepare for the future. We have to make sure that all the all the you know all the T's are crossed and all the check marks, and we got to make sure that all the the vegetables are canned and everything is ready for winter. Because in winter we can't produce harvest. We have to make sure that we save the harvest for winter. We have to be careful. We have to make sure that we don't lose. So ingrained in our society and also personality-wise, we are very much personality-wise a high percentage of that managing personality. We get along great with people, don't we? We have a great reputation in the world. We don't rock the boat. We don't speak our minds. (laughs) You know, we're just super nice. Canadians are super nice. In fact, the worst thing you can say of a Canadian to a Canadian is like, call me mean. You know, like, oh, you meanie. 
People say that all the time just because I'm like an eight on the Enneagram. And so I just like save what I'm thinking sometimes and then I'm mean. And so that's the worst thing you can tell a Canadian. Oh, you're mean, you know. However, think about this personality-wise. Culturally, this is sort of how Canadians are set up. Now, even generally now, I can talk about church culture and the denominations and what happened there. We had church boards that would hire people in. But when you hire a pastor in, here's what they were looking for. This is what kept me out of pastoring for so long, because I'm, I'm not like a really good pastor. <laughs> pastor. I'm not. My wife is a way better pastor than I am. This is what a Canadian pastor looks like. They're kind and sweet. They hug a lot. I like hugging, but it's like creepy hugs. <laughs> no, they're just, they're just, great with people and just the oil in the machine and they visit people in the hospital and they um, are good counselors and, and they spend all the... Oh, I'm describing my wife right now. I'm not describing me. But when a board, a church board, would hire somebody in, they would hire in ultimately a very nice manager because that in Canadian culture was what was desired. Think, just stop and think with me for a bit. When the sun is shining, that's who you're looking to lead an organization, a company, a family. You're looking for somebody who gets along with everybody, somebody who can build consensus, and somebody who can make sure that everything happens the way that it should. Right? That's who you're looking for. You're looking to hire that person because that's... Who you're not looking to hire is somebody like me. When the sun is shining, you just, why? Because I'm disruptive, man. I come in and I'm like, why are we doing that? That doesn't make any sense. We haven't been. And then everybody on the church board would be like, this is why we had to start our own church because I just wouldn't get hired anyplace else. They're, not every church operates like that, but most of them in Canada do. You're clapping for that. I like you. So here's, here's what I would do, because I come from a results-driven industry, and I'm not built like that. So I would be like, well, why are we still doing that? Is this effective? And they would be like, oh, but Aunt May, Spider-Man, is that Spider-Man? <laughs> Aunt May, she started that 100 years ago, and it's her thing. And I'm like, yeah, but no kids go to that anymore. Nobody even knows what that word means anymore. Yeah, but she started that, and that's her thing. And then what would happen if... Because I would come in and I'd be like, well, that song was old like 30 years ago. I don't think that it relates to culture at all today. Well, yeah, but the old songs are the best songs. And I'm like, are they though? What if nobody comes and sings them? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, no, we got to stay true to the word of God. I would hear this like, true to the word. I'm like, no, I think what you mean is true to the word of God as you used to, to sing it 30 years ago, maybe. But like the word of God never changes the gospel. But I don't know. I think we're wrapping it in 70s and nobody wears 70s clothes anymore. You know, like, I feel like it's weird, you know, or like 50s clothes or, you know, this this tension of the managing. You don't naturally put somebody who's a visionary, somebody who's disruptive at the head of the table. And in Canadian politics, bureaucracies, think about, can I can I go this far? I'm I'm not going to look you in the eye. I'll just be like school systems, hospitals, government, anything. Right, right, come on. See, see, (laughs) oh, I'm going to get in so much trouble right now. When a crisis comes, managing a crisis is not what you want. You need visionaries in a crisis. Because managers ultimately, and there's nothing wrong with this, when they're at the right seat on the bus, managers ultimately are either or thinkers. Well, this way is better than that way, this way. And a visionary is a both and. We could have, we could, 
We could do both, actually. There's a way that hasn't been invented yet. Think about COVID and what happened. Nobody saw this coming. Literally nobody saw this coming. But when it came, we had the wrong people sitting at the decision-making tables. Why? Because they're like, oh, we have to stop the spread at any cost. And now we're seeing the cost. You want to see the cost? Okay, my Pastor Peter wrote that article. Just go and read that because I could... He's smarter than I am. Okay. The cost. At any, we have to flatten this curve at any cost to any other curve. At any cost to child abuse right now and sexual abuse happening because kids can't get out of their homes and go to school and get away from their parents. At any cost to cancer people not being treated right now because all the clinics closed. Because at any cost to, at any cost to, at any cost to, and a visionary would walk in and be like, we could do both at the same time. Oh, come on now. We could do both at the same time. We just haven't invented a way yet. We haven't invented a way yet. You think about Steve Jobs, one of my favorite movies. There's lots of cussing. I'm not going to tell you to watch it. But he's just like, listen, listen. And you created a a grand total of zero new innovations. You poured all of your resources into what you already had and tried to sell more of them. And you created the Newton. (laughs) Come on. Yeah, but he was, a, you know, he was a jerk. I'm not going to, you know, I mean, but I'm just saying there's something about that visionary that until the visionary was sit at, sitting at the table, you can uninvite the visionary, but then it kills the company one day when the storm comes, when the crisis comes, when you've created a, a brand total of zero new innovations that could have actually saved the country at the same time as saving people. Um, I'm just going to get, yeah, just complain about me on Facebook. That's fine. I'm used to it. Um, listen, though. Listen. Do you think, do you think, look at the history of crisis in the church, history of crisis in the world. Do you think, do you think that when a country, when a nation, when a company, when a family is run by godly visionaries and managers working in tandem, do you think that God did not have a crisis solution that we could have jumped on? Do you think that we could have had an inspired way to do both? Do you think that God could, that God in his all, he knew this was coming. Do you not think that we could have? And then they're like, well, you church people, you you can't make decisions like this. You can't. Okay. But we could have industry people making decisions. We could have. They deal with these crises all the time, just in different ways. And it's a different way of thinking. Because they would never make any money if they didn't have visionaries and management working in perfect tandem with each other. Not crossing the tension off of either, but living in the middle of the tension of like, here's where we have to go, but here's how we got to get there. And it's a powerful thing that you see worked and enacted in scripture over and over and over again. I think about the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was not the guy that you want to to visit you if you were feeling sorry for yourself. (laughs) He was not the typical Canadian pastor. He hurt your feelings. He said all sorts of crazy stuff to people. But there was something in him that saw where the church needed to go and where people needed to go and where society needed to go. There was some capacity thing in him where he could actually go and die for what he believed. There was something in him that would try to get you there because he cared so much about you. Because he he heard from the voice of God and he was tenacious like a pit bull. He would not stop until you got fixed, until your marriage got fixed, until your life got pure. There was something about that visionary that we needed. But now we're going to have to pay the price for the vision vacuum. And I think that God is creating a vacuum here. In spite of all these horrible things happening, I think that God is creating, because God can. He is not limited. Look, whatever the devil does, God can lay a trap for the devil. He can. He can. He can use something that's awful and still turn it for good. That is the ability of our God. Nobody else can do that, but God can do that. 
But we're now going to create, there's a, a vacuum being created in society where people, I think, are going to start turning their eyes towards heaven because when the sun was out, we had no use for God in Canada. Now the sun's not out and we're starting to realize, oh, the boat didn't matter, did it? The size of my house didn't matter. I have all this fear and I don't know what to do with it. I'm afraid of dying. And Jesus is like, I'm not. <laughs> you don't have to be if you want to be. Come on. You don't have to be if you want to. Come on. There's a, there's a both and. There's a both and coming. I'm just going to say this real quick because you're going to hate me for it. See, we, we, we forgot that Jesus sent us out as sheep among wolves. See, we thought that we were wolves because we have so much information at our fingertips. But we forgot that we were sheep. And sheep do what sheep have always done. <laughs> they panic and they get eaten by wolves unless they have a shepherd. <laughs> I was a shepherd for a day in my life and I can tell you all that I know about sheep. All I know is that they panic and they're really, really dumb unless they have a shepherd. And then they're not. Then they're cute and fuzzy and keep people warm and taste delicious, I assume. <laughs> Sorry if you're a vegetarian out there. Sheep eat vegetables too. I'm getting the vegetables. Don't judge me. I'm sorry. I said I was going to cross the line. You're already mad about the visionary in Canada thing. Here's, here's what we're finding out now. We're no different than any generation that has come before us. We're still sheep. Here's what worries me a little bit is that we took the word of God and we took the morality of heaven and we took the ability of God, our creator, and we replaced it with distractions of all sorts of other things. All sorts of, I mean, I could just go into that. I'm not going to. Here's, here's what I worry about. We stopped putting the word of God at the forefront. We stopped honoring God. We, we ignored God. And now what's happening is, is this little funny little principle of like a mob mentality where they made us afraid, but see, leaders don't have to, you know, godly leadership don't have to make people afraid and just play the fear card. They lead people. They don't drive sheep with fear. They lead people with confidence. This is where we need to go. Okay, yeah, we can't turn left here because we'll all fall off a cliff, but we have to go here. But here's where we're going. So we, we, we get led because of where we're going, not because of what we're afraid of. And when this happens, and this mob mentality takes over, then, then listen to me. Look, the first time that I tell you something, I'm very persuasive, right? So, so if I'm going to have a conversation with anybody, with Nassie, I'm going to have a conversation with Nassie right now. The first time I say something to her, she'll be like, eh, that makes a little sense, you know. 25%. She's like, I'm 25% in. The next time, because I'm a good talker, she'll be like, I'm like 30% of the way in. That's making a little more sense to me now. If I had 100 conversations with her, she'd be all into my idea. You do it with your kids all the time. They sell you stuff on TV all the time. A hundred times that the same message comes creates credibility. And it has nothing to do with the quality of the message. Does it? Has nothing to do with science, has nothing to do with fact, has nothing to do with anything that makes sense. The ability to put a message in front of a person a hundred times is the ability to control them. The ability to land on your screen a hundred times in a row is whoever can do that can control the entire country. You're going to find me in a Russian prison camp by the end of the day. This is not the first time that we have been led by somebody who can propagate something a hundred times in front of somebody. This is not the first generation that this has happened to. Come on. All I have to do is get it to you a hundred times and you're going to believe whatever it was that I said. But we created a vision vacuum 
decades ago in our society that we forgot that it's the visionaries who can clear that up. And we're like, no, 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 there's another way. There's a way that we could do this and do that and keep people safe and stop the spread and keep businesses and, and get to cancer patients and, and emotional health and physical health and. There's a way to do both in the economy of God. I'm taking way too long here. I love you. We have to marry the vision and management. Here, Matthew chapter 25. Um, you'll feel like the scripture doesn't really work here. I do too, but the Holy Spirit's going to show it to me as I'm preaching it to you today. <laughs> I worked so hard on this one, and then I felt like I needed to change the scripture altogether, and so I did. Then the kingdom of heaven, Jesus is saying, will be like ten bridesmaids, ten maidens who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Now, you don't understand the culture at the time, but the bridegroom would come unannounced, and, and it would be like, hey, I'm going to show up sometime around here. But it was kind of like, you don't know when that is. And he would come and show up unannounced like Christ is going to do for the church one day. Listen, if you're a son or daughter of God, your heavenly father, Jesus is going to come with trumpets and a shh. Oh, come on. It's going to be amazing. All the cares of the world are going to be gone. We get to enter the Garden of Eden in heaven again. It's going to be amazing. It says the bridegroom, he would come unannounced. It was uh, a surprise. You couldn't predict when they would come. And they're talking about the, the, they had lamps. What, what do lamps mean? Lamps are torches. That's really what they meant. So ten of them had torches. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. What kind of wisdom? See, they were working to the end result and working their way back to what we would need to do to get that end result. Five, were, five could do that and five couldn't do that. It doesn't say that five were bad and five were good. Please notice that. Five were just foolish and five were wise. There's a very huge difference there. Sometimes we're like, yeah, but you're unwise and therefore you're bad. Well, no, sometimes unwise people are just unwise people. They're just foolish. They just don't know yet. They're just ignorant. We just don't know. It says, the five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps or their torches. The other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. So if it's a torch and you'd like soak a rag in oil and then light that, they would go because they're like, well, he said he was going to come around this time. So we'll go. And, and they seem quite wise at the time because it's like, well, normally the bridegroom would show up here. If the bridegroom normally would delay longer, if it wasn't a surprise, then they would have been, they would have, everybody would have packed oil. But it was an unusual situation like you're experiencing in your life right now, a crisis, an unusual time. Nobody has a template that's working yet. Like we just don't know. And so... It says, uh, like, you thought you had an emergency fund until this happened and you lost your job, right? right? Like, you thought that your marriage was okay until you got to actually spend time with each other. You thought that you liked your kids. <laughs> then you're like, this is what they're like all the time? Oh, my goodness. But it says, when the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, they were roused by the shout. Look, the bridegroom is coming, Jesus says. Come out and meet him. Remember now, as, as Jesus is telling the people this story, they're thinking that this story is about somebody else being foolish. We think it's, oh, Jesus, like, we're, well, you know, when I read this story, I never one time have ever thought to myself, I'm the foolish maid. I'm the idiot. Yeah, he's totally talking about me. But watch, it's always the punchline of the, the, the moral of the story. It says, at midnight, they were roused. Come out and meet him. Um, Listen, a man named France said this. It is a warning addressed specifically to those inside the professing church. Okay, now I'm going to just turn this right to church people because what I'm not doing is criticizing government. And I don't know that there was like one answer. I, the crisis demands this vision thing happening all the way through this. I think we got some right and we got a lot wrong. I'm not criticizing them because I don't know what it's like to be them. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't know what they're actually looking at. I don't know. I pray for them every day. I bless them and I honor them every day those in positions, but this is, now it turns to the church, because if the church 
gets it right, we're the light of the world. Come on. We, we have the message of hope of salvation. I can't fix the economy, but what I can do is make you unafraid of it by the word of God. Because there's a higher economy. And if you take care of God's house, he will take care of your house. He will take care of your nation. It says, this is, uh, Fran said, this is uh, specifically addressed to those inside the professing church who are not to assume that their future is unconditionally assured. He says, all ten are expecting to be at the feast. And until the moment comes, there is no apparent difference between them. Here's, here's the phrase. It is the crisis which will divide the ready from the unready. Right. Now we know. It's the crisis which makes it go like this. Some people will do very well and some people will not. But the divide will be much greater right now. It said, all the, Jesus said, goes on to say, all the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. The five foolish ones asked the others, please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, we don't have enough for all of us. Go to a shop and buy some for yourselves. This is where the way that some of how we think as a nation isn't quite right. Because the Bible would tell you, like, look, he says, men, if you don't want to work, you shouldn't eat. And in Canada, we're like, everybody can eat even if you're lazy. That's not a principle that honors God. Why should people who work hard pay for people who are going to be lazy, who just refuse to work when they could do something? Come on. If you work, say amen. Like, I like hippies too, because they look cool. And they listen to cool music. But man, get a job like the rest of us. Like, pay for it. Be a, a member of society. You know, here's... Can I just say this? Why take the bailout when you could work? Why would you do that? We have to work and become and start putting money back into the economy again. Don't just take a free ride because you can. Don't defer a payment just because you can. It's going to catch up with us. Oh, preach it. Okay, I just heard everybody's feelings. I'm a visionary. That's what we're allowed to do. But then he says, we don't have enough, so go out and... and see, the five maids who, who were wise were a great blend of vision and management. Watch this, watch this. See... They were like, well, what if, what if it's one, it's always the paranoid monkey, right? It's like, well, what if there's, is that, is that noise a tiger out there? Like, what if the bridegroom is delayed, right? So it would take a visionary to be like, you know what? Because, listen, visionaries are paranoid. If you have a visionary who's a, the leader of a company, they're paranoid that another company is, in a week is going to run them out of business. So they're constantly thinking about the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and keeping an eye out and like, oh, they're paranoid. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They have budget. They have, they have, <laughs> they have like money put away for bad days, Right? Boiler funds. Come on, Dave Ramsey, let's go. They were a great blend of that because somebody's like, well, what if he's delayed? And then the managers were like, if he is, then we'd have to. Right? Like, if he's delayed next for three hours and our lights go out, then what? Right? The visionary. Then the managers are like, my cousin sells oil. Like, we'll go over there right now. We'll get on the donkey. We'll ride over there. I got, um, but you got to think, it's painful to prepare when, when the sun is shining for the storm that's coming. Because they wouldn't have had, like, a jar or a flask they could put this in. It would be a clay vessel. How do you seal a clay vessel? Think about it. Like, this is, like, historical, you know? How would they do this? It would be painful. They would be carrying a backpack that the other people wouldn't be carrying. It would, they would look weird until the bridegroom is delayed. But while those were gone off to buy oil, the bridegroom came. Then those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was locked. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you. That translated means, like, I'm not sure about you. I'm not. You should have done your homework. You should have. You should have. You should have been the wise. So you too must keep watch, Jesus says, for you do not know the day or hour of my return. Now, here's what I want to say, because this is not a message that's like bringing bad news. It's actually a message of good news. Listen, 
It is not over for you yet. You might be broke. Listen, I'm just going to be honest. You might lose your house. Your marriage might be on the rocks, and I don't, but listen, just listen to me. It is not over. It is the time for a reset. You will be unable to hit a reset by yourself. That's not what sheep do. You could give a sheep all the information and we would still make the wrong decision. If you would be led by the Lord your God who sees tomorrow, then you'll start to be wise. You'll start sitting yourself under the teaching of those who bring the word of God to you, under, under the economic people who are need to be in charge right now, the, the visionaries, the leaders, the people who are like, we can do this and we can do that. We can do this and we can do that. And we put on, we say, lead us, show us where we need to go. And then somebody tell me what to do right now. But we have got to quit telling ourselves that we are visionaries and managers and we are the Godhead three in one. We are not. We need a shepherd because here's what a sheep has to do. Here's all you have to do today. Where's the shepherd? Have enough vision and management to just walk there today. Well, what do you mean, pastor? Quit worrying about the socioeconomic trends and ask your wife to forgive you. for spending the money on that thing that you shouldn't have spent it on. Ask your husband to forgive you. Ask your children to forgive you. Ask your mom to forgive you. Just do the thing that gets you closer to Jesus right now. Create another habit. If you lost your business, you can start another one and just don't make the same mistakes as you made on this one. Come on. Come on. There's a way to, but we have to follow the voice of the shepherd. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I pray that, that you would bring hope to the heart of every person that I've just hurt a little bit. But this vision is where we need to go. And I pray, Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, that we would start realizing that we are not all of these people. We need shepherds right now. And I pray that you would raise up the visionaries and raise up the management that can support the vision of God for our nation once again. We were supposed to feed the poor. We were supposed to be the country that people looked at. Like, this is what happens when you serve God. And then we ignored you. And Father, we pray that you would forgive us and send us these men and women and these raise up these children again. Let us never have this leadership vacuum in a nation again. God, that we would start respecting that when you when there's a crisis and a problem, you call a man or you call a woman or you call a child and then we're supposed to support that person and we're supposed to help them get that vision uh, that you have for the saving of a nation. And I pray right now, Father, for grace and for mercy and for truth. And I pray for the salvation of our neighborhoods and I pray for salvation of our city. And I pray for the economy, Father, and I pray for every person who is hurting and lonely, Father, every person who is suffering with sickness or disease. We ask for healing. We ask for the health of heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.